Hello and welcome to the Football Outsiders Week 2 Preview Show. I'm Ian O'Connor, Senior Data Analyst at Football Outsiders. And joining me as always is Tom Strachan, Football Outsiders Fantasy Analyst and Contributor. Tom, we're through Week 1. We're already into Week 2. You know, it's going to be Week 18 before you know it. But we'll enjoy <laughs> it as much as we can. How are you doing this week and how did you do in fantasy last week? Yeah, I'm good, man. Ready for another good week of it. Like last week was a fun one. I mean, there's just there's so much pressure on week one, isn't there? Like all your priors need to be confirmed. Like I had a good week in fantasy, lost in the Scott Fishbowl, which always hurts. DFS, I didn't do amazing, but my cash lineup came through, so I wasn't suffering any losses. And uh, just a case of all the right players, but not in the right lineups together. Yeah, good day. Won a little bit, but yeah, we've got plenty of time to get back into it. From a betting perspective, at least from this show, uh, did pretty well on my picks as well. I think it was 10-6 and six against the spread, 10-6 and six overall, so hoping to carry that forward and uh, keep those, those positive records as we get through each week. So on today's show, we're going to be covering all things betting and fantasy for all of the Sunday games and both Monday Night Football games. That's right. We have two Monday Night Football games to end week two featuring some big names, so more fantasy matchups than usual will come down to Monday night. And speaking of fantasy, play on Underdog Fantasy with us and you can double your first deposit up to $100 using promo code OUTSIDERS. Now, even with best ball season over for NFL, Underdog does have some other user-friendly game formats that kind of spice up the games throughout the season. You can try their Battle Royale, which is a six-round best ball style draft, Similar simpler chances to win than traditional daily fantasy sporting sites where you're going against, you know, hundreds of thousands of people. You can also try their pick games where you can wager on players' chances to go higher or lower than their projected stat lines. There's also kind of a head-to-head thing. For example, tonight, uh, one of them is Justin Herbert against Patrick Mahomes. Who's going to have more passing yards? You can go down the list and pick up to, I believe, five of those. And all of this is available even in states where traditional prop betting currently is not available. Underdog is the fastest growing fantasy site around. So join the fun over at underdogfantasy.com or download the Underdog app in the App Store. Again, use promo code OUTSIDERS now to double your first deposit up to $100. That's a free $100 on the table for you at Underdog Fantasy. So I guess we'll just jump into the first game now. This is a good one, Tampa Bay at New Orleans. Bucks are two and a half point favorites on the road. This one's got a total of 44. Now, it's really no secret Brady and the Bucks have struggled against the Saints. And the Bucks were only 17th last week uh, against Dallas in DVOA. Brady has been held below 240 passing yards in three or four matchups against the Saints. But the New Orleans defense did struggle with Atlanta a little bit last week, and they only finished 29th in DVOA. We know Godwin, Chris Godwin, is going to be out. He came back, played a little bit, left that game. Does that give Mike Evans more value? Uh, maybe not this week. He's been held to one catch twice, two catches once, and a one-four catch game in the last four against New Orleans. Is he someone you're willing to play with Chris Godwin out and maybe even more attention on him? Yeah, it's kind of like the clashing of narratives, this. It's like everybody knows about how Marshawn Lattimore seems to have the best of Mike Evans and the stats, like you said, like Mike Evans averages 26 yards in the last five meetings against each other. But on the other side of that, you can look at the narrative of how well Mike Evans plays when Chris Godwin misses times. And since Tom Brady's been in Tampa Bay, Mike Evans' fantasy PPR scoring jumps from 15.1 to 20.3 points per game. And his touchdowns per game jump from 0.78 to 1.17. So in particularly in DFS, I'm completely ready to play Mike Evans in a situation where some people might be scared off it because it will give great leverage, say, if Mike Evans goes for two touchdowns and 100 yards. So many people who've played scared will be missing out on those points. 
Yeah, so the other question here is with this going, when you've got Chris Godwin out, Mike Evans, touchdown magnet, but Julio Jones, Russell Gage, um, from what I've seen, Gage, and for what we know, Gage has a little bit more experience in the slot like Chris Godwin, but I really think Julio Jones could be kind of that that number two red zone threat for Tom Brady. He's got the size. It seems like they've got a pretty good connection. He played limited snaps last week, but had, uh, I think, 70-something yards, uh, 60-something, 70-something, even had a few rushes for like 17 yards. If you were going to play one of those two guys, which of those would you lean towards this week against the Saints? Yeah, I think, I mean, it was tricky because you could really see them trying to get Mike Evan, uh, sorry, Julio Jones involved as much as possible when you're designing in sweeps and rushes and stuff like that for Julio Jones, you know that he's got to be feeling it. I think Julio's going to be the one who's owned slightly less out of the two, even with Mike Evans' narrative around how badly he plays against the Saints. More people will play him because he's just that good a player. So you can pick up Julio Jones for 5,500 on DK this weekend. And that's definitely very cheap. And if you're going to play Tom Brady then it just makes sense to add probably two pass catches to it and just play against the narrative. So I'd be completely fine playing Julio. And yeah, I'd stack him quite happily with Mike Evans as well. Yeah, and, I, and from a, a betting perspective, I mentioned a lot of tough picks this week. This was a tough pick for me. I think you picked the Saints against the spread. Is that right? Was that your pick in our staff picks? Yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, it's just... I'd quite like to see it. I feel like, you know, this Saints team, they can be spicy, they can be fun, and... Uh, it would it would put Tampa Bay in a little bit of a rut to start the season, and I'm you know I'm all for a bit of misery. Yeah, and I'm I'm actually right there with you. This pick is our second highest confidence pick of the week. It is still less than a field goal from Football Outsiders. I lean Saints because of the defense. Uh, I we we know they're a lot better than they were last week. They were projected the number two defense coming into the season. Jameis really looked great late against Atlanta. I think that carries forward this week. He was pressured a ton. He was sacked four times, but he didn't throw an interception. And I mentioned that in uh, talking about waiver wire pickups this week. He's still available in a handful of leagues. Um, you know, I think he had, what, one or two incompletions, had 10 first downs in the fourth quarter and just looked really good. And so I tend to, to side with you, lean the Saints, um, the points and the win. They're underdogs. It was two-and-a-half-point underdogs. So I think they win. Obviously, they cover as well as underdogs. I lean with the under on this one, though. Again, uh, having Godwin out. Uh, the Saints defense, again, I think is going to be better. That Bucks defense isn't really projected very high. It wasn't great. Um, uh, you know, Dallas kind of – they held them to, what, 3.6 points. I don't remember exactly. But Dallas just didn't look good anyway. Yeah. Uh, I don't think the Bucks were really that great defensively. And, and I think this one um, – you know, they'll just be okay and they'll do enough to keep this one under. But the Saints win there as well too. And yeah. I, I mean – oh, sorry, go ahead. The, the only thing I'd really add to that is um, – I'm fading Alvin Kamara after last week. I was, I played him in quite a few places, but we're at this point now where you've started to see that since Mark Ingram rejoined the team in week eight last year, the splits where Mark Ingram plays and Kamara plays, Kamara's fantasy production just craters. He goes from sort of three receptions per game, four receptions a game in games without Ingram down to three. And his PPR points dropped by about a third from 20.6 in games without Ingram down to 12.8 in games with Ingram, as well as the fact that he's been dealing with a rib injury, I think it was this week. So he's somebody I'd much rather rely on the passing game in this game, even if it does end up being a little bit feisty and going underneath. And 
Jarvis Landry is the main player on the Saints who I'd be looking towards. Like last week, we just saw Winston peppering in with those kind of not even just easy layups, shots to the slot. He was taking shots to him outside on the boundary. So, yeah, they're, they're, that's my main kind of takeaways on the Saints side of it. Yeah, and uh, you mentioned Jarvis Landry. He is not known as being maybe a big yardage guy, you know, big play guy, a lot of receptions or, you know, a high reception guy. Uh, maybe that doesn't continue forward, but it is nice to see him using using him that way. And, and it looked like a pretty good connection with Jameis. Moving on to our next game is a, a, a less spicy game, I guess, if you will. The Jets plus six at Cleveland. This one's got only a 40-point total. I think it's tied for the lowest total of the week. The Browns won the Baker Bowl last week. Uh, this is going to be their first game with Brownie the Elf at midfield. There were a lot of disappointments last week, though, fantasy-wise, outside of Kareem Hunt, who scored twice, and Nick Chubb, who had a lot of rushing yards. David Njoku, a big sleeper tight end I bought in. And I saw a note before jumping on here. He missed practice today for a personal reason. Uh, they made a note that, you know, the, the coaches said he did a great job blocking in week one. That doesn't seem too promising moving forward. Kind of like those Mike Kosicki comments about him having in, in the preseason, you know, being a good blocker, blocking more. Do you think he can still be a fantasy play? Even, you know, it's only been one week. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, it was definitely, it was really disappointing. I think, you know, like many people, I was very much in it. You know, you can quite often follow the money. And in that game, he had 88% of snaps. So, like, it wasn't like they were just taking him off the field. They were using him consistently in lining up in formations, but they just sent one lone target his way. And it was a tricky game, really, because the Panthers seemed determined to pass an awful lot, but the Browns were just quite content to just run the ball down their neck the whole time. So it isn't surprising given, given what they've got on the line at running back, but yeah, exactly. right. Exactly. So I think, you know, this game against the Jets is definitely a situation where you can look to start David and Joku again. It's not a tough matchup. I mean, last week we saw the Ravens force Flacco into passing 59 times and the Browns should just be able to do what they want here again. I wouldn't like to pick the game. I think it'd be a tricky one. So I'll be interested to hear which side you go in there. But for me, start Njoku, start Kareem Hunt, start Nick Chubb. I mean, even though Nick Chubb didn't get the touchdowns, only three players had more rush attempts than him in week one. And we just know that both Hunt and Chubb can coexist in that offense, both put up points. Yeah, and as for the Jets, I uh, mentioned Joe Flacco. What do you make, though, of the, the Michael carter Brees Hall situation? It seemed Brees Hall... Got more of his targets. Uh, from what I read after, it was a pretty bad Michael Carter drop, I believe. I didn't see much of that game, but I know you had a tweet kind of referencing this situation uh, yesterday, I believe. So what do you yeah. make of that? I mean, it was, I mean, I'm a Ravens fan, so I was watching this one on one screen whilst I had red zone on the other. But it was just – it was – it was a poor drop from Michael Carter. He just seemed to be worrying too much about the contact coming towards him right at the end zone, and he dropped it for the touchdown. But in honesty, it was just – Carter easily seemed to be the preferred back there. He out-snapped Brees Hall, he out-targeted him and out-produced him and ended up with 17 PPR points. We know that if Flacco's got the ball, he's just going to keep dumping down. So any player in those kind of like intermediately to short routes – Carter, Elijah Moore, even Brees Hall, then they are going to get targets, but it's just really hard to trust them. And particularly with such a low over-under, as you were saying, this one could just be pretty miserable. And if you've got better options, you might just be better off fading this game altogether. 
Yeah, even Elijah Morno, we talked about him and how, how well he played with Joe Flacco last year. Did not have a great game. Is see someone you'd, you'd still, like you said, kind of fade even him um, or kind of anyone but him? Uh, it was it was a really tricky game because out of all all the players, like Flacco seemed to be spreading it around, whereas last year we kind of saw that he really locked on to uh, Elijah Moore this year. In this game, it was one where, like, let me just pull it up. Yeah, so Michael Carter had nine targets. Brees Hall had 10 targets. Corey Davis had nine targets. Tyler Conklin had seven targets. Garrett Wilson had eight targets. And Elijah Moore had seven. And Braxton Berrios had six. So there was nobody that Flacco was really just locking in on and just unable to move away from. And if the ball's going to be spread around like that, then it makes it a lot harder to start any of those players with confidence because it's very unlikely Flacco's going to throw for 59 times again. Yeah, and you mentioned this one being a, a tough one to make a pick on. Uh, this is one of those I struggle with. i got to be careful, though, because Robert Salah is keeping receipts. Don't want him to come after, <laughs> after me for this. You know, Jacoby Brissett isn't great, but, but I think better than Flacco at this point. Um, they actually had a pretty good offensive performance in DVOA. I think they were top 10 last week. They were ninth in offensive DVOA. I've got the Jets' defense was projected top 10. That Cleveland defense, I think, will be better. Six points is a tough one to to pick in this game between these two teams because the offenses really just aren't great. I don't think Cleveland's going to be a, continue to be a top ten offense with Jacoby Brissett. But I'm going to say the Browns win, the Jets cover and keep it close. Again, they've got a pretty good defense in our projections. Um, they've got a, a lot of talent there. Uh, Robert Sala's defenses, um, you know, came on after his first year, or he had a struggle the first year and kind of came on. He knows what he's doing. So. I would say Browns win, but the Jets cover uh, in this one. And as far as the over, I think Cleveland, their team implied total is about 23 points. I think they actually go over that, but it stays under the 40. So 23, you know, maybe 16, I guess. Would, would, or I, I said they would, the Jets would cover. So, so maybe that, that doesn't make sense. I may have messed that up. But um, I'll still say under and Cleveland wins, but does not cover. So now on to New England and Pittsburgh, another low total. I mentioned the Browns were tied for the lowest. This is 40 points. Uh, New England didn't look great in week one. The defense was okay. They 13th. They gave up a fourth down touchdown um, on a long catch and run to Jalen Waddle. The offense was only 23rd. No TJ Watt for Pittsburgh, but this offer defense is still projected or was projected as our top defense this year. They're still going to be pretty good. Are you comfortable with any Patriots after the way they looked last week? It was a really difficult game and in terms of fantasy and I think the only way that it's kind of become sort of remotely fantasy viable has been with Ty Montgomery going on to injured reserve on Tuesday so now it makes that backfield for the Patriots much more slimmed down we know it should just be pretty much Damian Harrison, Ramondre Stevenson. We've seen Ramondre Stevenson's probably a slightly more natural pass catcher than Damian Harris and Damian Harris is much more touchdown reliant it's one where if I needed to start one of those guys I would but as far as DFS this week I'm just staying away from the Patriots it just between that Mac Jones having back spasms last week and then missing practice today because of stomach problems it just doesn't sound like an offense that I want to be getting on board with for week two yeah I'm with you I, I don't think I even drafted anyone from New England in my leagues 
except Tyquan Thornton. That was before his injury early in a earlier in a best ball draft. But other than that, yeah, I, there's really Ramondre was Stevenson was the only one I was kind of targeting, but he I didn't want to take him where uh, where he was going, um, so I passed. But as far as this Pittsburgh offense. Trubisky and the Steelers were well below average offensively. I still believe in Deontay Johnson and Chase Claypool, um, but the way Trubisky looked, do you think? I guess would you still believe in starting either one of them this week? And is there anyone else? Uh, Fryermuth, I think as well. But but how do you feel about the Pittsburgh offense after what you saw in Week One? Yeah, I mean the first thing that jumped out to me was how little they they were passing to. Uh, Najee Harris and like his usage, which was really just very poor. And I think if you're somebody who took a lot of Najee Harris in best ball drafts this year, then you need to start worrying between that and the injury situation. Um, in terms of the pass catchers, Deontay Johnson's just a dog. I mean, 32.4% team target share. He led the team in targets and receptions. Had a Keep great catch to... on the sideline too. Yeah, and exactly. One-handed catch, really really elite stuff and people used to talk themselves out of drafting Johnson because he'd say that it was all Ben Roethlisberger and his quick hitting passes that kept him relevant but we've seen this now and we've seen if you can earn that kind of target share from Mitch Trubisky and be good then you're still going to be fine I do think Chase Claypool is somebody who's going to have spike weeks uh, this week he's 4700 on DraftKings which is very cheap but I do think that price is going to bringing a lot of people and it's not really a game I'd look to pile on a lot whilst George Pickens is 3,600 which is really close to the minimum salary for wide receivers and we saw he only got I think it was one target last week and he, but he was out there a lot and I'd be surprised if he didn't see more targets this week yeah I mean mentioning you know transitioning to that betting side of it uh, I mentioned TJ Watt is out it was a huge part of that Pittsburgh defense's top five week one performance um, the defense does still have some good pieces. They were our top projection for a reason. I liked Mitchell Trubisky pre-week one, but I think Burrow did a little bit more to keep it close with his interceptions and, and ter- one that was, I guess, ruled a fumble uh, caught out of the air than Trubisky did to keep it close. I still like Pittsburgh to cover plus one and to win this game uh, in turn. Only a 40-point total still feels like an under to me. I- I'm kind of all in on these low unders so far this week, apparently. I just don't trust those offenses. <laughs> Um, really to to do much. How about you? Yeah, I it's like you probably picked up the impression from me. It's not a game that like I'm going to be queuing up on uh, Game Pass on Monday morning to watch the extended highlights. It's a game that it could easy go under. I don't think New England is in an offensive rhythm enough to push the Patriots heavily, and I would go with the under. And I would probably lean towards the Steelers covering. Yep, same, same. We agree on that one uh, there as well. On to another really, I guess, I don't want to say not exciting game because there are some big fantasy players in this game. Carolina plus two at the Giants, 43.5 point total. Giants, we know, pulled off the upset in week one. They're now favored here in week two. Saquon absolutely went off versus Tennessee. It, it looks like he is back. He's a guy I tried to get in my home league, but I was the second pick overall. Uh, in a keeper league, a lot of top guys were off the board. Obviously, didn't make it back to me for my next. I imagine his cost is probably pretty high this week. Um, maybe. Are you paying up for him? I know I would based on the way the Browns just ran all over Carolina last week. 
Yeah, so he jumped up from 6,100 last week. And on DraftKings, you've got a 50,000 salary cap for the main games. So he jumped up from 61 on there by 1,200 to 7,300. But I still think there's a chance that that could be underpriced. We talked before about how the Panthers just allowed the Browns to run all over them and gave up 217 rushing yards. And I think the Giants could easily do that again. I mean, Saquon put up his most fantasy points since week 16 of 2019 last week, and it was the fourth highest of his career. And even if you worry about uh, the, the Panthers just stuffing the box against him, he had a 33% target share in week one. I mean, like, that's huge. And the yeah. Giants just don't really have options to pass to. So I would have no problem playing Barkley again in either cash games or tournaments, and I think he'll be a very popular pick this week. And then on the other side, we've got to go to Christian McCaffrey. He had a modest week. He did score a touchdown. Derrick Henry didn't do much last week against these Giants. Uh, uh, what is CMC going for, and is he worth it this week? Yeah, so, I mean, CMC, it was a funny one, wasn't it? Because it seemed like Matt Rule had just, like, focused on the passing game, but it didn't seem to involve McCaffrey too heavily. So McCaffrey's all the way up to 8,900, and I believe he's the second priciest running back on the slate behind only Jonathan Taylor. So it's definitely... I can understand why some people will shy away from paying it, because, like you said, Derrick Henry didn't have a monster game last week, and we didn't see elite usage for Christian McCaffrey. I'd be fine with it. I think, you know, I wouldn't play lineups with Barkley and McCaffrey because then you're dedicating an awful lot of salary to two running backs opposing. And But yeah, I think we're going to see this Carolina offense develop over time. And I do think, particularly if you're in season-long fantasy leagues, you've got to start McCaffrey yeah. and I'm sure it'll come good. Yeah, first few weeks, it sees long. It's kind of always let I play at the guys, your studs. You, you start them for at least the first few weeks, and if things go, go wrong, you can reevaluate there. Um, and I know the passing game, you like DJ Moore this week, but Robbie Anderson got a touchdown. I think he only had two catches. One was a touchdown. Um, I like the over on his receiving total. It's just 38 and a half yards. Um, again, he only had the two catches. One was the long touchdown. How do you feel about Robbie Anderson? Yeah, I mean, Robbie Anderson was somebody who – a lot of people just didn't want to draft last year because he didn't have a fantastic year, but it's like, you know, Sam Darnold, Cam Newton and PJ Walker throwing him the ball. (laughs) So uh, I would definitely be completely content to play Robbie Anderson. The really interesting thing that we saw was that the only wide receivers to run routes on Baker's dropbacks were DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson and Shee Smith. Was it she or Shy Smith? But either way, LaVisca Chenault didn't play a single snap. Terrace Marshall didn't play a single snap. So we know this passing offense is going to be really concentrated and that there are going to be terms where DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson and She Smith are all open and hopefully they'll get the ball. So I'd be fine playing both Robbie Anderson. DJ Moore, he's dropped down to 5,700 after a bit of a quiet week. He only put up eight PPR points last week. Had six targets, which was second highest on the team, behind Robbie Anderson, who had seven. So I think we're just going to see DJ Moore get more and more comfortable with Baker Mayfield over time. And at 5,700, we're priced as a mid-level receiver when we know he can be an elite receiver. So I'd be absolutely hammering DJ Moore this week. Yeah, and I like that, you know, that maybe not necessarily like the Carolina offense, 
in general, but this week, you know, they weren't very good last week, but I do like Baker Mayfield and the Panthers to bounce back in this one. Um, Vince Verhaal on the show I did with him yesterday mentioned the Giants had like 40-something percent of their offense come on three plays. Other than that, their offense really was middle of the pack in TBOA. Um, so I'm taking Carolina to win this one uh, at plus two uh, to cover as well, obviously. Um, the over under mention is 43 and a half. I'm going to take the over just because I don't think these defenses um, are really all that great. And, you know, say, the way Saquon looked and the Giants, you know, didn't put up a ton of points. But I think both of these kind of go back and forth, trade a lot of scores. Um, do you have any take on this one? It's another kind of boring game. Yeah, I think I would lean towards, like you say, I would lean towards just over on the on the over, not by an awful lot. And I would back Carolina because I believe they've got more top-tier players than the Giants do. I think Wing Martindale's doing an interesting job with defense, but it's still lacking an awful lot of quality. And, yeah, just, just leaning towards the Panthers. Yep, so both taking the Panthers – and that over slightly with uh, the, with the Giants and the Panthers. It's now a, a kind of, I don't know if sneaky good or sneaky interesting game is really the word here, but Miami plus three and a half at Baltimore. Baltimore's home opener. It's a 44 and a half point total. We remember Miami stunned Baltimore on Thursday night football last season. Baltimore looking for some revenge. The Ravens nearly back to full streak. It sounds like J.K. Dobbins should play. He's, they're pretty optimistic from what I've seen. Uh, he's looking pretty good in practice. Is he worth starting in his first game back in either season long or daily? I don't think you can trust it. I think, you know, he's 5,300 on DraftKings this week. And if you drafted J.K. Dobbins, there was a good chance that you weren't expecting him to be ready necessarily by this week. We know that they're not going to push him into anything. If they wanted to push him back early, then he would have been on the field last week when he felt like he was ready to play. This week just doesn't feel like the right time to throw him out there, particularly against a defense who blitzes more often than any other team in the league. He's, he'd have an awful lot of pass protection responsibilities. And if he's worried at all about his knee or if his knee's a little dodgy, I just don't feel like that's the kind of game where you need you know, big defenders just barreling down at you time and time again when you're being asked to pass protector. So I wouldn't be starting Dobbins now. I think it sets up more for a game where I'd like to play Rashad Bateman. You know, we've seen him not only winning downfield as he did last week on the 55-yard touchdown, he can also win really close to the line of scrimmage. And as I mentioned, nobody blitzes more than the Dolphins at the minute. Last year, they absolutely had Lamar's number. And I would expect that this year, the team's coming into it with a lot of short, quick passes schemed to help Lamar out and to take a little bit of pressure off him. Yeah, and you mentioned that kind of a perfect segue into my next question I had for you on this game. We did see in week one there should be enough volume for both Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle in Miami. Bateman had uh, two catches for 59 yards in that touchdown you mentioned on five targets. Devin Duvernay had four for 54 and scored two touchdowns on four targets. Do you expect this offense to be able to support two wide receivers along with Mark Andrews moving forward? We know they run the ball out, especially as they're getting J.K. Dobbins back and uh, get that running game going a little bit more. I think it's going to be one of those where until we see J.K. Dobbins up to full health, I don't think the Ravens are going to be able to run the ball as much as they'd like to. And, you know, that might even take waiting until Gus Edwards is back and particularly when Ronnie Stanley's healthy at left tackle, whereas last week they lost um, their left tackle, Jerome, 
Jerome James to an Achilles injury. So now if Ronnie Stanley can't play this week, they'll be playing another backup. So I really don't think that the running game is something that we need to worry about or pay much attention to because starting Kenyon Drake or Mike Davis isn't the way forward. Um, in terms of the other side of a passing game, you mentioned Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. I think they're going to be very playable if Marcus Peters misses out because Ravens also lost Kyle Fuller to a season-ending injury. And they do have depth in the position and they have got some young players who are quite good. But I'd be much in- more interested in playing them if Marcus Peters is unable to go this week. Yeah, more injuries for the Ravens. A tough one for Juwan James, you mentioned. I think I, that's the same. He's torn that Achilles now twice, I believe. So just a really, really tough break for him. But – you know, that makes it the spread in this one kind of interesting. Miami plus three and a half. Last year on the, the Edge, Edge Sports podcast I was doing, I thought there was no way Baltimore would lose last season. I ate crow big time on, on that one. I, you know, our model actually had Miami covering. And I said repeatedly, there's no way that happened. But I'm going to double down this year and say Baltimore wins and covers pretty easily in their home opener. Miami does put up some points. It goes over 44 and a half, but I like Baltimore to cover in this one, even with some of those injuries you mentioned. Yeah, I was on a Miami Dolphins fans podcast last weekend, given a last year, given a Ravens preview. And uh, much like yourself, I believe there was no way that the Ravens were losing it and uh, ate a lot of crow too. But this one, I will give the edge to the Ravens. I do think the defensive scheme that Mike, uh, Mike McDonald is running is really going to give Tyreek um, – sorry, to a, a hard time. I feel like watching the tape last week, there were some real inadequacies in his game. And I do feel like that the Ravens are going to cover and win the game outright. Yeah, really exciting one. Uh, to, to potentially exciting game, I think. But again, we're on the, the same side with this one again, uh, with Baltimore covering their, their home opener. I think Lamar just this year is kind of going to go on a, a tear with looking for that contract. They say they're going to franchise him if they don't come to an agreement, but like Lamar to take care of business in this one this year at home. Our next one is a, another one that's kind of kind of exciting. It can be in a way. Washington plus one and a half at Detroit. This one's got a pretty high total for two teams that really aren't very good. A lot of times we see those, uh, those games be with low totals. Um, it's a 48 and a half point total. We saw Carson Wentz threw two picks last week, but also had four touchdowns over 300 yards was a popular waiver wire option this week. You know, he was one that I highlighted for football outsiders. Are you trusting him moving forward or do you still need to see a little bit more? Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Because like towards the end of his time in Indianapolis, we really saw the team just not trust him at all. And then this week we come out and he throws for four touchdowns for the first time since 2017. And it was just like a little taste of, okay, this is what – when Carson Wentz has the belief of people around him, maybe he can go and do that. Or maybe it was just because the weapons around him are so good. You know, you look at Terry McLaurin, Jahan Dotson, Curtis Samuel, Antonio Gibson looked really good. And Logan, Logan Thomas is working his way back from injury and soon could be there. That's a really good set of skill players. So I think with Carson Wentz, you've kind of got to just commit to it and play him until you see otherwise. And, the Lions' defense is – they've got playmakers, but it's not that threatening that I'd be worried about the matchup. Yeah, and you mentioned Antonio Gibson. He dominated the backfield touches 21-6 to over J.D. McKissick in, between carries and receptions 
Philadelphia just ran all over Detroit last week. The rushing prop for Antonio Gibson is 59 and a half yards at DraftKings. I like the over there. I imagine you like him in DFS this week as well. Yeah, I mean, he just, like, last week he seemed to be playing with so much more confidence than uh, he has in a long time. I mean, interestingly, his rushing yards last week was 58, so they've set the line right above just where he got last last week. I think, you know, we've seen the Lions struggle with run defense for a couple of years now, and DeAndre uh, Swift, obviously, had a great running game from the other side of the ball, but... The Eagles were just doing what they want to the point where they were putting in Boston Scott. They had Kenny Gainwell in there, and all of them were racking up touchdowns. So I would be completely fine playing Antonio Gibson this week. Probably more of a tournament play than a cash game. He's 6,200 on DraftKings. And then mentioning, uh, I guess, going the other side, Detroit's run game. DeAndre Swift dealing with an angle injury. Um, don't think he's really in danger of missing the game. Um, we'll have to wait and see. I haven't seen a ton on that. Would you play Jamal Williams if he's out? Jacksonville did average 6.8 yards per carry against Washington last week. We're able to run the ball pretty well. But would you go with the, the backup there, Jamal, who's proven to be a capable uh, backup? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know this from watching him any time in Green Bay. Like, he's he was somebody who the Lions went out and made it a priority to sign last year, and then things never really got going because of injuries. But he is easily one of the best handcuffs in the league when it comes to it. And he should be rostered in all fantasy formats. And if he, if for any reason Swift didn't play this week, it would be in DFS. We kind of talk about a free square with those situations because Jamal Williams is only 5,400. And you know that the Lions would just treat him as if it was DeAndre Swift in the game. So, yeah, I would happily play him. But I feel like DeAndre Swift will probably pull through and be fine. Yeah, I agree. And Jamal Williams did get in the end zone last week, prevented Swift from having an even bigger game, uh, but had a, had a really big game. Finished first in DYAR uh, in our statistics. Um, it was one of those stats you can get just for signing up for Football Outsiders. All you have to do is register with a, an email address and you get access to those basic stats. Uh, you can get premium stats and articles as well as fantasy picks and some of the NFL betting picks that we've been talking about with an FO Plus subscription for just $4.99 a month with an annual subscription. To get sign up for that, go to F, uh, footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe. Transitioning over to the betting side of this one, both teams put up 28-plus last week, also gave up 22 and 38. It was a good Philadelphia defense, slightly below average projected Jacksonville defense, but not terrible. I feel pretty good about the over on this one. I mentioned it's a little bit higher at 48 and a half. Um, but I just see these two teams, like you mentioned, Washington's got some playmakers. Detroit uh, fights hard. They fight to the final whistle. They put up points late a lot. Uh, Jared Goff has some playmakers at, at his disposal as well. I mentioned just talked about DeAndre Swift. The spread and even the winner I think is a little bit tougher. I lean Washington because that defense should be better than Detroit's. And I think Wentz keeps it going with those playmakers. Um, but uh, yeah, I would side lean with Washington, um, not only to cover one and a half, but to win this one outright and the total to go over. I just think the defenses aren't going to be able to, uh, be as be good enough to, to offer up as much resistance to keep this one under. I'm, I'm going to disagree with you here. I'm okay. going to go, I think the Lions are going to get the win here. I think, you know, maybe it's because last night I finished watching this year's hard knocks and I've just okay. like, you know, been propagandized up to the right. eyeballs on it, but uh, yeah, Campbell's go got with... you ready to run through a wall for the Lions. That, huh? That's it, really bite some kneecaps, you know. 
But it was a game as soon as the over-unders came out. 49 is was the first one I saw. And it looked, okay, well, I can understand why it's there. But it actually, I feel like this can get up into the 50s. And, I'll, yeah, so I'll go over on the over-under and I'll see the Lions will win it. Yeah, it gets boring if we both agree. So it's always good to have a, a little dissent on those. Maybe not to the level of Stephen A. Smith and Max Kellerman or anything like that. <laughs> have a little bit of dissent is always fun. <laughs> So we'll move on to another game you mentioned, uh, Jonathan Taylor being the highest price running back this week. An interesting one, Indianapolis minus four at Jacksonville, 47-point total. Indianapolis hasn't won at Jacksonville since 2014. We have all heard that. We remember the Week 18 game last year. Is this the year they, they, they finally pull this off? In our staff predictions this week, a lot of people took Jacksonville as the potential upset here. But we just talked about Wentz having a big game against Jacksonville last week. Matt Ryan was unimpressive last week. Michael Pittman, Jonathan Taylor got theirs as we expected. Do you believe in Matt Ryan against this Jacksonville team? Do you think he can can do can kind of put up the numbers that Carson Wentz put up last week? And does he need to the way Jonathan Taylor has performed against the the Jacksonville in his uh, career so far? I think that's it. You've kind of hit the nail on the head. It's like Matt Ryan just doesn't need to get there in the same way because Pittman is such an efficient receiver. Jonathan Taylor is such an efficient runner that the offense doesn't need that kind of explosive game from the quarterback. I mean, Michael Pittman was out there pretty much for every snap and he saw 26.5% target share. And it was just literally him, Jonathan Taylor, Naeem Hines, and then occasional throws to Alec Pierce, Michael Strachan. It's like, it wasn't, it's not a big offense in terms of spreading the ball around. But it's Pierce very easy. Touchdown, which hurt Matt Ryan's uh, line. Had yeah. his hand. That was tough. Exactly. So I think Matt Ryan's not somebody I'm actively looking to play this week, but mainly because there's quarterbacks around him who are priced similarly. So on DraftKings, you can get Matt Ryan is 5,500, but for 5,300, you could get Trevor Lawrence. It's a lot easier to imagine Trevor Lawrence having to pass heavier in this game and to rack up points like that. And Marcus Mariota is only 5,600, so 100 more. And you know that he might give you that rushing upside as well. Yeah, and I mentioned Jonathan Taylor having a lot of success against the Jaguars in three games with a full workload. He's got 8.43, 5.52, and 5.13 yards per carry. But Washington totaled just 85 yards on 28 carries last week. Does that worry you at all at his uh, price range? Yeah, so, I mean, he is the most expensive running back on the slate uh, in his price. it's This is where it gets tricky when you start to see the real elite players um, perform like he did last week. The prices go up to the point where it does make it hard to roster them. So he's 9,900 and... He's exactly the same price as Cooper Cup. And I would lean towards Cooper Cup if I had to choose between the two of them. We can get into Cooper Cup later on. But at 9,900, you're really looking towards needing about 30 points out of him in this game. And even though last week we saw Jonathan Taylor being used often in the receiving game, it always makes me a little bit nervous that Naeem Hines is going to suddenly have a game where he is the target and just gets peppered constantly. So... I'm probably not going to play too much Jonathan Taylor this week, but I completely understand why anyone would. Yeah, and season long, you're definitely playing him. There's really no question there uh, in those formats. But I mentioned Jacksonville is a popular pick in our staff predictions to pull the upset this week. 
I'm not buying it. Uh, the streak has to end at some point. I did talk last week about thinking Jacksonville will be better this year, but I like the Colts to get a win on the road, cover the uh, to win. So they and I like them to cover as four point favorites as well. Um, am I crazy for thinking they're going to get finally get this win in Jacksonville? No, all and I think you know the uh, the tie last week really kind of complimented the Texans who didn't look fantastic. Really, I'm going to lean towards the Jags. So I do think that. This Jaguars side is going to be feisty and they're going to be in a lot more games. And at home, I just, yeah, I've just got a feeling that it's going to be the Jags this week, but it, it feels like a coin flip game. Yeah, definitely a tough one. When it comes to the total, this one is in the top half of games this week. Um, 47 points. This is one I went back and forth on. Um, like you said, Jaguars, some of their games have been pretty high scoring the last few years. I think this one just barely goes over 40 that 47 point mark um what what are you thinking there is that one that we disagree again here you you on the same side i do think that the colts are gonna slow things down a little bit because of their tendency to kind of lean on jonathan taylor and those kind of easy shots to michael pittman a lot so maybe the rate of play just slows it down just enough where this game ends up sort of being like a 20 to 23 or something similar to that, quite close in the low 20s. Um, so, yeah, I'll just lean under and, like I say, Jags just sneak it. Yep. Yeah, just a few points between us and Alex and Alex, just, a, just barely over, going a few points under. So close, but still on, on different sides of the fence on this one. Uh, so now going to move on to... Seattle, who surprised everyone Monday night. They go into San Francisco as nine-and-a-half-point underdogs, only a 41-and-a-half-point total, really not too surprising uh, with that total, I don't think. Uh, Geno Smith looked great the first half. That offense slowed down in the second half. I can't imagine starting Geno anywhere against San Francisco, (laughs) but did week one change your mind about the Seattle offense in general or anyone from a fantasy perspective there? It was a really interesting game. I think like, I kind of went into it expecting Gino to laser focus on to DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, which is what he did last year in the games where he started. He targeted those two on 59% of his passing attempts, whereas on Monday Night Football, that only counted for 39%. It seemed like perhaps with an off-season where the passing plan was centred around him and getting him comfortable that they'd expanded routes for him and made it easier for him. So if anything, it may be slightly concerned that if Metcalf and Lockett aren't getting touchdowns, it's going to be pretty difficult to start them in fantasy. I would say I'd probably be quite happy playing Metcalf, but Lockett, if I've got a better option, and you normally would with wherever you've taken Lockett in drafts, then I'd probably bench Lockett for this week and see how it plays out. And on the other side, we've got a, a younger, uh, inexperienced passer, but only because he hasn't been in the league as long, versus Geno Smith, who's been around quite a while. But Trey Lance, this, there's been a lot of talk. I think this question has been asked a ton, and I'll kind of ask it again when we get to the Bears. Does Trey Lance, in your eyes, get a pass for that monsoon game in week one? Yeah, I think, I mean, it was just horrendous conditions. And what Lance was doing well was on the balls, which the throws, which were further downfield, but the quick, the rhythm timing throws, which we know Jimmy Garoppolo has been so good. It seemed like he was much more, less sure in himself with those. Like, But the ball was soaking wet. So, I mean, if you're having to get the ball quickly and throw it, I can understand why things went wrong. 
my biggest concern with him was that he just runs like a lunatic, like he just smashes into the defenders all the time. But it, it really was a game where I just, uh, yeah, I'm a Trey Lance fan. I want to see him succeed, but it felt like I have to give him a pass. The Niners O-line didn't help things. They were letting pressure come through to him on 38% of dropbacks, which was top 10 in the league. So I'd really like to see this game in nice weather conditions and just be able to give Trey Lance a proper appraisal from there. Yeah, and from that, I'll go ahead and, I guess, maybe answer with my next question I had. I think we're both probably still going to be on the Brandon Ayuk train. I know I am. Um, you were a fan of them. But when it comes to the backfield, are you willing to start Jeff Wilson or is it a, is Jordan Mason or Tyreon Davis price a sneaky play? I know Davis price was a healthy scratch last week from what I saw. Um, it looked like it was because he doesn't play on special teams. Jordan Mason does. And it was the number three running back at that point. But I've also seen that the 49ers are impressed with Jordan Mason and he could end up being the number two while Jeff Wilson is the number one. But we all know how Shanahan goes with his back. <laughs> yeah, and I think it could. Like I've seen a lot of waiver bids for Jeff Wilson be quite high, even in high stakes drafts where you might have been paying several thousand dollars to be in it. People are really going after Jeff Wilson hard, and for all the reasons you said, it could easily be a trap. And would it surprise us if uh, by the end of Sunday's game? It was either Trey Lance or Debo who ended up leading the team in rushing opportunities, <laughs> whilst the others sort of, you know, maybe came in. And maybe Jeff Wilson gets those carries around the goal line because he's trusted by Shanahan over the likes of the two uh, younger rookies. But the backfield for me, they're not players that I'll be playing in DFS. I understand that if you're in season long and if you had Elijah Mitchell go down, that you might be needing to start Jeff Wilson. The other guys, the rookies, I'd rather see it before gambling on seeing them play. Yeah, and you mentioned the season long for that perspective. Jeff Wilson obviously was one of the guys that I featured for the waiver wire. And I think it was nine games since 2020. He had more than 12 touches. He averaged over 18 or 19 fantasy points a game. But it's it's the fact that will he get more than 12 touches uh, moving forward while Elijah Mitchell is out. Worth taking a risk on. You said if you're in a season long, in case he does get that production moving forward, but really hard to know until we see him go out. And it could even change from week to week, as we know. But uh, on the, the betting side of it, we'll kind of make that transition. We are slightly higher on Seattle than the market is uh, on our FO projections. Still have them as seven-point underdogs. Seattle, again, was decent in the first half. They fell off in the second we also cannot count on two goal line fumbles from their opponents every week. Uh, can't even count on that in a season because it hasn't happened in over 20 or 30 years. The San Francisco defense, though, will pressure Geno Smith. Another one I mentioned with Mahomes having to escape the pocket. I like the over on his rushing yards. It's at just 13 and a half the last time that I looked. So that's a good one. He got just over that barely last week as well. I think it was 11 and a half on Monday night. Now, I'm not sure San Francisco can cover that number again. We kind of give Trey Lance the pass. Uh, for last week, but we still don't know really what to expect from him and from the offense just with, with so little playing time only those two starts last year. But I do think San Francisco wins. So that Seattle cover, San Francisco win, a low total. I'm going to go over on that as well. I, I kind of went back and forth, and this was one where I just kind of said, All right, pick one out of a hat and let's go with the over. I don't really have too much uh, to back that one up. How about you? Uh, yeah, I think this is going to be Trey Lance's coming out party. I think it's going to be, you know, a really good game. And I think Brandon Ayuk with those kind of deep shots, the type that Jerry Judy got loose on on Monday night, that's, we're waiting for that and that's going to finally happen. And I think the Niners win. I think the Niners cover. 
And I don't think that it'll hit the over, though. I think we're talking about well, about 43 points. So I think we're probably talking 27-10 kind of thing. And uh, it just, the, the Seahawks, it just feels like that was a game they were really up for against Russell Wilson. And like you said, I'm not sure that's going to be repeatable. The second half particularly was really poor. Yeah, and I can, like I said, I could definitely see the under under hitting on that as well in San Francisco. I could see them pulling one out. I'm sticking with with Seattle covering though that one a, a little bit uh, under nine and a half. But I did mention our projected spread on this was around seven points. You can also get that information in all of our NFL picks. Both projected spreads, our picks with confidence against the spread, and our straight up picks along with confidence every week with an FO Plus subscription. That's our premium subscription. Sign up for just $4.99 a month at footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe. So that takes us into a, our next game, Atlanta plus 10.5 at the Los Angeles Rams, 47.5 point total. Want to cover the betting angle and the fantasy to, uh, angle together in this one? Uh, Atlanta has come up from about 11.5 to 12 points at open on Sunday, and they're now at 10.5 point underdogs. One of these teams was your pick against the spread this week, so I'm going to ask you, what what did you pick here, and uh, why why was this your pick as the, the best pick against the spread? I've completely forgotten my pick of the week now, so I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure you, you took Atlanta plus 10.5. That sounds about right, yeah. Uh, here we go, yeah. So I think it was just one of those situations where the Falcons were pretty unlucky to lose to the Saints. I think, you know, I don't expect them to be a good team this year and I don't expect them to really make a good go of things. But 10.5 is a really big spread. I mean, the Falcons don't even have to be particularly competent to keep within 10.5 points. And I really like how Marcus Mariota looked last week, more so for fantasy than real NFL terms. I think Cal Pitts had another game where, even though it didn't transpire into stats, he was really active, he was really annoying the Saints, and he was targeted seven times, and unlucky to only turn up with two of them. And it's a game that I feel confident enough in the Falcons that I've made it my stack of the week. So I'd be taking Marcus Mariota at 5,600, Kyle Pitts at 5,400, and then running it back with Cooper Cup on the other side because we saw how Jarvis Landry carved up the slot against them, and Cooper Cup is easily the best player in the slot in the league. So, yeah, I think I just feel like the Falcons, they've got a little bit about them. They're annoyed. We saw last week with Alf Smith how annoyed he was at the end that they lost that game. And I think they're going to be very up for this game and really bring it to the Rams. Yeah, and you mentioned Kyle Pitts just getting two catches on seven targets. Um, uh, Stefan Diggs and Gabriel Davis both went over 85 yards last week. Much better quarterback, but Pitts receiving yardage set at 46 and a half. I'll take that's one I like the over on that. He went over 46 and a half yards in 11 games last year, sometimes went way over. Different quarterback, we know, but. Um, like you said, I like him with seven targets. I, if he even, you know, catches five or if he gets more targets, I think, and they're probably going to have to throw the ball a lot in this one. I think he goes over that 46 and a half. And then you mentioned kind of perfectly uh, tying in with some of the bets that I've got. Atlanta applied pressure on Jameis, sacked him four times, no picks. Now, Stafford was sacked seven times by Buffalo last Thursday and threw three interceptions. He had 17 interceptions last season. I'm going to say he throws another one this week. I, I think Atlanta is going to keep that pressure up. Um, his uh, interceptions are set at, at just a half. 
So I think uh, he throws an interception. So I really like Pitts over on that 46 and a half yards and Matt Stafford to throw an interception. As far as the spread, you mentioned uh, keeping the, the Falcons keeping a little bit closer. Rams were dead last in overall DVOA last week. No opponent adjustments yet. Obviously, that Buffalo team is very good. But like you said, like I have the exact same thing here. My notes, 10 and a half points is a lot. I think the Rams almost cover, but they don't. They win the game, but it, it's really close there. Um, and Atlanta, it's like you said with Jacksonville, just going to play pretty feisty and, and are able to, to keep it close. We saw the Rams big favorites against Detroit last year, and Detroit was able to keep that one close. Had some onside kicks, some aggressiveness. I don't know if Arthur Smith goes – that far with it, uh, we haven't seen him be super aggressive. But I, I said another one, we get back to siding together on that with, with the Falcons covering. So the, now, the go ahead. So the last thing before we just go, I, I do feel like this is a game where you can start Daryl Henderson in any format. Oh, He's yeah. going to be very popular in DFS this week, particularly in cash games. And we've just seen in games where he averages over 50% of the snaps, he's returned at least 14.4 PPR points on average. So he's definitely somebody that if you're playing cash games, double ups, head to heads, Henderson, lock him in. Yeah, he was very good early last year, was the RB9, I believe, through or RB12 through week nine last year. And Cam Akers had three carries and uh, had as many yards as you and I did sitting on our couch last <laughs> Thursday. So not, not looking good for his usage going forward, but. We do know McVay was saying all offseason he thought he had two starting running backs. So, so yeah, I, I agree. And Daryl Henderson was one of those big pickups this week if he wasn't already ready owned. So 100% agree with you on that. We'll move on, go out west, Arizona at Los Angeles. Oh, I guess that one was out west. Well, so we'll stay out west. Arizona plus six at Las Vegas. This one's a 51.5 point total, so a lot of points there. We talked earlier or in our Thursday preview about the Chiefs. Arizona just got destroyed last week. Gave up five touchdowns to Mahomes. They have no DeAndre Hopkins, no Rondell Moore. Greg Dortch led the team in targets. Hollywood Moore, Hollywood Brown did find the end zone. Uh, didn't have as many catches as I thought he might. I think he only had four. Um, but uh, are both, I think, are worthy starts this week against Las Vegas. The Raiders did give up 279 yards and three touchdowns to Herbert as well. Are, are you th- Do you think Dortch's um, workload or his target share will carry forward to next week? He led the team in targets. Yeah, and I kind of have to apologize because I got no, numerous questions last week of people saying, is Dorch worth picking up? And I was like, Dorch? I mean, this is his first team, like in five years in the NFL or five teams of the NFL, he hadn't had more than two targets or so. So I really I mean, didn't expect Antoine Wesley to take, the, take over Rondell Moore's kind of share. Exactly. And it was just not something that I expected. I think Marquise Brown is somebody who is going to struggle as the clear focal point of attention from defenses. And it doesn't make me happy to see it after being a Ravens fan and seeing him for so long, but he's just not really that alpha wide receiver. So I think you've got to start him though, because this does have the potential of a shootout. He's probably not somebody I'll play an awful lot of in DFS. Instead, I'd rather play James Conner, who without Rondale Moore and Chase Edmonds there, he just seems to get all these kind of near the line of scrimmage catches. And he saw a 16.7% target share last week. And in games that he's played without Chase Edmonds going back to the start of last year, he's averaged 5.67 targets per game. And his receiving yardage is sitting at about 42 per game. So rather than probably going too heavy on the pass catches, I'll just stick to James Conner, whose role seems really secure. 
Yeah, and I know on the other side, you know, Devontae had a huge debut, poised for another big game against this Cardinals defense. I know you like Derek Carr. I'd assume Devontae is worth the cost in DFS uh, for a big game this week. I also kind of want to just bring the Raiders offense as a whole into this and talk about Josh Jacobs as well. He was efficient in limited work uh, with Las Vegas down most of the game. Carr threw the ball 37 times. He had 5.7 yards per carry on, I think, 10 tar- or ten carries. One catch for 16. Now, we saw three Kansas City running backs average 5.2 yards per carry or better last week. Is His rushing prop is at 55 and a half yards at DraftKings. I think the over could be a good play. I think Vegas is going to get up in this one. Is he worth starting with Las Vegas favorite, even though we're not sure about the workload? And then going back to Devontae Adams, is he worth the cost? I'm not exactly sure what his, what he's priced at, but is he worth it for you? Yeah, so Devante Adams is the second highest receiver on this slate, uh, 8600 on the main slate. So I'd completely be playing him. I mean, we saw he had 48 percent target share. He had the third most uh, air yard share amongst receivers across the league. Like he has just picked up with Derek Carr completely, and there's no need to worry about him whatsoever. The only cause for concern in the passing game, I think Darren Wall is still going to be utilized well. I do worry about Hunter Renfro. It feels like Darren Wall is getting slightly higher value targets, even though he got the same amount of targets as Renfro. In terms of Josh Jacobs, he's somebody who I really don't care for. In best ball and season long, I don't draft him very much at all because it felt like Zamir White could get opportunities as the season goes on. But at this early point in the season, I would have no problem playing Josh Jacobs. Like you say, the Chiefs running backs could just run on the Cardinals fine. The Cardinals defense doesn't look particularly good, and I would be very concerned about them. Uh, And yeah, I would completely be fine playing Josh Jacobs this week. He's 5,800 on DraftKings, and it's not hard to see him racking up sort of 17, 18 points if he can get involved in the passing game as well. And you mentioned the Arizona defense. We talked about it last week, too. They, they didn't look as good as the numbers said. I think they were top 10 in DVOA the last couple of years. But when you looked at them on film, they weren't as good. And it's kind of the opposite of what we see with analytics. A lot of times we say, you know, they look good, but the numbers are. Or the opposite with Arizona. They just did not look good. Projected 28th uh, coming into the season after losing talent. There were six-point dogs last week. They're at six points again this week. Vegas was still below average in second half DVOA, but did play much better than they did in the first half. The defense was the opposite. Uh, sorry, Las Vegas offense was was below average and then picked it up. Defense started off a little better and didn't get wasn't as good in the second half. I do think they put it together, played solid game overall, and they cover this. Arizona, I think, is going to have a tough start to the year. 0-2, oh um, not covering in either one as well. Um, it, it's just it's hard to see them without when. You know, Greg Dortch, no no disrespect to him, but when he's, you know, your number two and leading your team in targets, it's it's tough to really expect a lot from them, I think. Yeah, I completely agree. I think, uh, again, like watching the Chiefs-Cardinals uh, game before we jumped on, it just seems so perplexing how they're running that offense. It didn't seem like they were trying to get the best out of Marquise Brown. didn't seem like AJ Green was at all involved, and it was all just Greg Dortch, who an awful lot of people wouldn't be familiar with at all. So, I'm going with Raiders, and I think that they're comfortably out of sight on this one and going on the over. So the the next two games, uh, we'll I think we'll kind of move through a little bit quicker. Just not as much here. Uh, Cincinnati seven and a half point favorites at Dallas, forty one and a half point total. Big story 
no Dak Prescott, the eternal optimist that is Jerry Jones says he won't go on IR. It was originally projected eight games. Is anyone on this Dallas team worth starting for you with Cooper Rush, a quarterback? Yeah, this is my fade of the week in DFS. Uh, we'll really be avoiding it because it just feels like without that Prescott, as you said, the Cowboys aren't going to be able to push the Bengals into a shootout and the Bengals will just play this game at their own pace. On the Cowboys side of things, Zeke Elliott did look a little bit better than I thought he might do last week. I think like 80% of his rushes went for at least five yards, whilst Tony Pollard looked really poor which and got embarrassed in pass protection. So Zeke is probably the only player I'd be tempted to play. I think if you drafted C.D. Lamb or Dalton Schultz, you've probably got to play them in season long. But in DFS, I'll just stay clear of it. I don't want to play any of these players. It'll be interesting to see how Joe Burrow does after getting sacked five times last week. I know that Cowboys D-line is going to be going after him. But aside from that, I'll just leave the game alone and uh, catch the highlights. <laughs> as, as far as... Um... The season-long fantasy goes here. You know, I mentioned earlier, we, we, you mentioned T. Higgins. I said Hayden Hurst was a guy that got a lot of targets. Was one of my waiver wire guys this week. I think he finished in second second or third with seven or eight targets. Uh, some of those, you know, being a, a product of T. Higgins being out for the, the second half of that game with a concussion. Is he worth a, a play? But, you know, I'm staying away from this week. But moving forward, do you think he'll remain as involved? I know C.J. Uzama – had more than at least five targets in pretty much every game uh, in the second half last year, uh, or at least average five targets a game down the stretch. Yeah, I mean, he, he saw eight targets last week, but it was a game where Joe Burrow, you know, he dropped back to pass uh, where he made 53 pass attempts. So I don't think we can expect Burrow to do that. So to expect Hayden Hurst to have that amount of passes, uh, targets per game is a little much. But he's a good. He's a good player. He, you know, he's had a rough time of things between things in Baltimore didn't quite work out, and then he went to Atlanta and had an okay season. But then we drafted Kyle Pitts. Yeah. He's not a bad tight end, but he's not elite. I think if you need somebody, if you were somebody who waited on tight end in drafts and now you're scrambling because Irv Smith picked up a zero in week one or something, he's as good a player as any. But it's hard to project him for more than maybe ten to twelve points in a best case scenario. Yeah. And you mentioned, you know, this game being, you know, kind of at Cincinnati's pace coming to this one. I mentioned at the top, the spread Cincinnati seven and a half point favorites opened around Dallas one and a half, two and a half at some book Sunday night, obviously shot up in Cincinnati's favor. Um, the, the Dallas defense was basically average in week one since he was sixth. Um, can they hold the Bengals offense and can Cooper Rush score against a tough Cincinnati defense? I don't know. He got a win last year against Minnesota. He doesn't project well, or the Dallas offense doesn't project well with him. Seven and a half is tough against a good Dallas defense, but I'm taking it. I'm going to say Cincinnati to cover, but it stays under 41 and a half. Yeah, and I'd agree with both of that. I think, you know, we saw the Cowboys last week. They only managed to put up three points when they had Dak Prescott for three quarters of the game, if not more. This week, I think, yeah, it's going to be a very similar scoreline to last week. And then the, the next game is another high spread. Um, this time Denver. Houston is 10-point underdogs going into Denver, 45.5-point total. Another popular pick this week uh, in our picks, I think, was Houston to cover at Denver. The Denver offense really didn't look good. Nathaniel Hackett had the big error at the end of the game. That cost them. Uh, Houston did play ultra-conservatively after building up that lead against the Colts, ended up in a tie. 
Damian Pierce busted. It didn't even lead the backfield in touches after getting all the hype in the preseason, but neither was efficient on the ground. Neither he nor Rex Burkett. Is either worth playing against Denver this week when we saw Rashad Penny really didn't have a great game last week? Yeah, I think it's it's tricky because you know, Rex Burkett's 33. He can't carry on playing that many snaps. And Damian Pierce only saw 28% of snaps and less than five PPR points. After the game, the coaching staff did come out and say that they needed to get him more involved. But it's like, well, you had the opportunity. You played the game. Why didn't you get him more involved? So I think it's probably best to just take a wait-and-see approach on Damian Pierce for this week. I think if you've got Rex Burkhead and you feel the need to start him, then you're probably in a bad position at running back. You've probably had injuries like to Elijah Mitchell or similar. But in terms of DFS, they're not neither of them are players I want to play. I'd be much more interested in on the Broncos side of things. We saw Javante Williams have like the second most targets of the week, and that includes wide receivers and tight ends. And if this is what the let Russ Cook movement's going to be like, and they're going to utilize the screen game so heavily, then Javante Williams, even if he's time-sharing with Melvin Gordon and Melvin Gordon seeing more rushing attempts and Javante, then they're going to be great in PPR formats. But really, I mean, it's not a game that's... It's not that appealing because it feels very much like the Broncos could throttle the Texans and really take the joy out of the game. Yeah, are you buying OJ Howard in this one after his uh, two catch, two touchdown performance? No, I mean, he had, he had two touchdowns on, he only ran a route on 15% of routes. Like if, if you're chasing that, you're in a, in a dire sort of situation. That's not repeatable. Yeah. And, and then moving on, this kind of goes into what you said about Russell Wilson uh, to the betting angle things I had. And I think this week goes much better. You mentioned kind of a lot of those screen passes, his intended air yards per attempt in week one was only six and a half. It's never been lower than 8.6 in a season since 2018. Um, it, I, I think, think they're going to push the ball down. What's that? I think it's just a product of they knew what to do to upset Russell Wilson. Whereas I don't think the Texans are going to have the capability yeah. of doing that. Yeah, and I definitely I think they'll push it downfield more. But I also think the running backs, you mentioned, have a big game too. Jonathan Taylor just ran all over the Texans last week, 161. He got 31 carries. I don't think they run the ball that much. But I do think that the, the running backs do well. It, uh, this one, again, is a big number at minus 10. But I'm going to take the points. I'm going to say Denver covers in this one. But that total falls short of 45, and Houston just doesn't put up many points. I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna go with the under as well, but I'm gonna say that the Texans stay within those, stay within it because again it feels like a lot of points. And despite me believing in the running backs, Russell Wilson, he didn't look great. And until I see otherwise, it's kind of hard to have that real confidence that the Broncos are going to be as all out interesting as we thought they could be. Yeah, it's first Russell's first game as a Bronco in Denver, so it's definitely gonna be a lot of hype. We'll see if it, if they live up to it again after last week. It, it didn't look great. So we will see. That one is on Sunday. That's the last afternoon game. Moving on to the Sunday night football game, Chicago plus 10 at Green Bay, a 42.5 point total. We know that Green Bay offense, uh, we saw them start off hot, if you will, with Christian Watson getting wide open on their first play, but dropped it. So uh, kind of all went downhill from there. A.J. Dillon led the team in targets. Aaron Jones tied for second. Now, Rodgers said this week, I believe it was on the Pat McAfee show, they need to get the ball to 28 and 33 more. 
So do you feel comfortable starting any Packers wide receivers, even though Romeo Doves was tied for second in targets and looked like he had the most, he had Aaron Rodgers trust over some of the, or really any of the other wide receivers? It's it's really tricky. I think the best thing to come out of week one is we finally established that Sammy Watkins is dust and there's no need to worry yourself about him for fantasy purposes. Christian Watson, I, I played him in a couple of places last week and when he dropped that catch, it was such a heart-wrenching moment because that could have really given him and the whole Packers wide receiver core just that real confidence boost going into it. Yeah. So that was really disappointing, and I, I would probably not want to start Christian Watson this week. Dubs, I think, yeah, that's a fine play. Again, he seems to have Rogers' confidence, like you said. But I think I'd probably be more tempted to play uh, Robert Tonyan than either of any of the other receivers. That was uh, exactly seems... what I was going to say next, so you, you, <laughs> you stole my notes. That's perfect. <laughs> he just, you know, he seems to have recovered well from the injury that kept him out last season, and He's got Rogers' trust. We know that he can have these games which are fantasy-worthy in a position which is hard to find players who can be consistent. He feels like the right guy and the gamble that I would like to take there. Yeah, you mentioned it too, the trust. Like, you know he's got his trust. He had the big year with touchdowns. He won't score at that rate again, but last year he had two touchdowns on 50-something targets in eight games. I think he gets more than that this year. Now, on the other side, though, the other tight end, Cole Komet, was non-existent in week one. Again, kind of a pass there. We saw, do you see a bounce back for him this week? Um, or does he struggle a little bit more? And, and I really expected him to get more targets. I think he only had one target, right? Yeah, that's right. So all summer, everybody talked about the Bears passing game being really condensed and that everything was going to run through Darnell Mooney and Cole Komet. And then we get to week one and Mooney and Komet combined for a stat line of one reception for eight yards, whilst Equinemius C. Brown, Dante Pettis and Byron Pringle all score more fantasy all points. All the cast-offs. <laughs> exactly. So it was a really difficult week for people who'd invested in the Bears. But I feel like Cole Komet it has to get going. I'm not sure how you feel about the Packers' defense in terms of against tight ends. For me, it feels more like they're stronger on the outside, and it might be a tricky game for Darnell Mooney. But yeah, I quite like I quite like Cole Komet in this game. Yeah, uh, Chris Barnes is out, and uh, Quay Walker. Um, I think him and uh, Devondre Campbell on the inside. Quay Walker is a little bit better in in coverage. Um, I think, but yeah, Cole Komet, I think will have some spots to get open across the middle. I am hoping that he bounces back from some of my fantasy teams. So we'll see you there. Um, looking at this backfield, this is one that we heard a lot in the off season, the Khalil Herbert being more involved. Maybe the, the coaching staff isn't all in on David Montgomery. We saw Khalil Herbert get more involved. He had nine carries, scored the touchdown. David Montgomery was horrible in efficiency. Does this make you shy away from Montgomery moving forward? Well, I'm just going to tell you, I've drafted over 200 teams this year and I didn't draft David Montgomery in a single one of them. So uh... <laughs> it's, <you've got> away. <laughs> it's Khalil Herbert season. Yeah. I mean, Khalil. Yeah, I'm right there with you. He was ahead. He was on my, my bench as a, not really a stash, just kind of some, uh, some, uh, my, just my running back bench. I had some other guys. But yeah, he's one I, I was hoping would, would, would the, the offseason talk would come to fruition. It looks like it did. Yeah. I mean, we saw it last year. Khalil Herbert looked great when he came in. But then it was Matt Nagy who decided to bench him when Montgomery was healthy again. And David Montgomery has been a good fantasy player over times. But he's also one of those players who 
it just feels like he gets there entirely on volume alone. But if Khalil Herbert's going to be eating into that, particularly getting high volume, high value touches around the goal line, then there is no reason to play David Montgomery. And I think if you're in season long, it's very hard to put him into your starting lineup this week. Meanwhile, if you've got Khalil Herbert, I would definitely be willing to take a flyer in him if you play in single game showdown DFS for this. He will be somebody who I think a lot of people will be drawn to play. Yeah. And going back to that Green Bay offense, it didn't look great. Uh, looking at the spread on this one, 10 points is a lot for a team that really didn't look that good. I'm going to trust that they'll be better this week, partly biased as a Packers fan, as I've mentioned a couple of times. But Rodgers owns the Bears, as he let them know last year. Green Bay's won the last four by 10 points or more. I think that defense is going to show up and be a lot better. And I'm going to take them to cover and go over 42.5 points with Green Bay. I think, like you said with Trey Lance, I think this is they click this week and it's kind of a coming out party for some of those receivers this week. I, I'm going to say that Green Bay do win this. I'm going to say that, you know, they keep it comfortable and the Bears are struggling a little. But, uh, yeah, I do see it going under again. This just feels like one of those games is going to finish like 23-10 or something like that. Yep. And Green Bay is Football Outsiders' uh, third highest confidence straight up pick. You and I both picked them straight up. Just a remind you again, you can get all of our NFL picks every week with an FO Plus subscription. You can sign up for just $4.99 a month at footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe. That also gives you access to premium stats, premium articles, fantasy rankings, and an ad-free experience as well, which is always, always fun. So now we move on to the Monday night sort of double header, maybe double feature. These games kick off an hour and 15 minutes apart from each other. So not exactly a double header in the traditional baseball sense, but Tennessee plus 10 at Buffalo. 49-point total. We all remember last year's game, Buffalo failing on that fourth down attempt while down three in very close field goal range. I think Josh Allen kind of slipped on that one as well. But Tennessee did, you know, played him well. Uh, Stephon Diggs had a big game in that one, but so did Emmanuel Sanders and Cole Beasley. They each went over 85 yards. Beasley had a touchdown. We saw Gabe Davis heavily involved, as expected last week. But that slot battle between McKenzie, uh, Isaiah McKenzie and Jamison Crowder was pretty even. They each had an interception on one of their targets. Can you be confident picking one guy over the other, or are you kind of avoiding both of those guys? I think if you're talking about in season-long fantasy, it's far too difficult to try and pick one of them. And if you have a situation where you don't have to play them, that's probably where you should lean to. Because, like you say, crowd around more routes for McKenzie, but McKenzie saw more targets and got the touchdown. It seems like they really do like both players. And if you have the Bills, why would you not want to use both of them? So... It's definitely a tricky situation for fantasy. I think in terms of if you're playing the single game showdown slate on Monday, then you can easily take a stand on one player or the other. And I'd probably be more drawn to McKenzie because not only does he play the slot role, but he seems to get design plays drawn up for him, those kind of gadget end around sweeps and bits like that. But yeah, really tricky for redraft purposes. I'd lean towards not playing either of them. Yeah, I mean, speaking of uh, running the ball, get it, getting some carries there. On the other side, the Rams averages average less than three yards per carry versus Buffalo last week. We mentioned Cam Akers going three for zero. Uh, Henderson was a little better, but still less than three yards per carry overall. Henry, uh, Derek Henry totaled 89 scoreless yards against the Giants last week, but he did run for 143 and three touchdowns against these Bills last year. What do you think about King Henry on Monday night? I think, I mean, you've got to play him, haven't you? You invest that much draft capital in a player, you've got to play him. In terms of DFS, I'll probably fade him in favour of of 
more of a pass catching game script. We, what was disappointing last week, la- last year we saw Derrick Henry being used in the passing game more often than ever before. But last week he only saw one target, couldn't haul it in. Meanwhile, Dontrell Hilliard ends up on the field and is getting like four targets and scoring multiple touchdowns. So Derrick Henry is somebody that you know we know he's a beast when he gets running, but when the Bills are involved, I just favor the passing game script. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I I don't think Tennessee is going to be able to keep up with them, and that goes uh, yeah. on takes us into the betting side of this. I think Buffalo comes out and dominates their home opener because we know nobody circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills. This was my favorite spread pick of the week in our staff picks. Obviously, high expectations for them coming home for their first home game of the year. Going to be crazy up there in Buffalo. Monday night game, I'm taking Buffalo minus 10. I think they exceed their implied team total there. Implied team total is 29.5 points, but I think they hold the Titans in the under hits. Buffalo scores a lot. I just, I, I'm not sold still to Ryan Tannehill has really dropped off from a couple of years ago. He's fallen off each of the last couple of years. Uh, you mentioned with Derrick Henry, his efficiency has it was dropped or was lower last year than that high-volume year in 2020, and I just don't think they can keep up with with this Bills team. I'd agree with both your picks there. I think you know Ryan Tannehill now just seems to have developed into this dink-and-dunk passer, and you know it's beneficial for players like Kyle Phillips who play in the slot, but that's about it. I really would be concerned about this offense as the season goes on. So that's it, Bills. We think they're uh, both agree on the Bills. I think everyone agrees the Bills are very good this year. That's no surprise. But on to the second Monday nighter. Again, kickoff only an hour and 15 minutes after Tennessee Buffalo kicks off. Last game of the week, and I mentioned at the the top uh, or on our Thursday show, I think this uh, could rival Kansas City and Los Angeles as what we think could be the best game of the week. Minnesota plus two and a half at Philadelphia. Got a high total at 50 and a half points. Uh, This is the game I'm most looking forward to out of the Sunday-Monday games. Justin Jefferson, A.J. Brown, both were dogs last week. Brown didn't get in the end zone, had 155 points. Jefferson was absolutely uncoverable if partly because Green Bay chose not to cover him for some reason. (laughs) He was wide open everywhere you looked. Obviously, you're not benching them, any of the other big names in this one. But who would you pick as your captain in DFS lineups looking at those those Monday games where where you're looking at that style with a lot less players in one or two games. Yeah, I think it's very much a lot of people will be drawn to those two guys because it was they're just the obvious picks coming out of that one. But I think that there's plenty of value to be had in Dalvin Cook and assuming that the Vikings decide to try and run the ball down the Eagles' net because we saw DeAndre Swift put up like 144 yards. So I think... There's definitely lots of value in Dalvin Cook. On the other side of the ball, if I was looking for a really contrarian play, I'd play Devonta Smith after, you know, he turned up a goose egg last week of zero points, hurt me on multiple fantasy teams, hurt me on DFS lineups. And it was the first time in his career he's put up a zero. That can't continue. And I'm sure that the Eagles are going to make a concerted effort to get him involved. And he saw four targets last week, but this week I'd expect that to go up and then him to hold them in and actually have a good day. So you can even play it two ways. One, running game for the Vikings to be contrarian against the Justin Jefferson plays, or two, Devonta Smith to leverage off the people who play A.J. Brown. Yeah, I'm hoping to Dalvin Cook has a big one. He's uh, my, my running back for fantasy. It was a little upsetting to see uh, Alexander Madison get eight carries, but – Dalvin Cook still had 20 carries, totaled over 100 yards. He'll get in the end zone. Um, this total comes in the third highest of the week. I'm going to say the offense is on the night again, and this one goes over. 
Minnesota was top 10 defense in the first half and fell to 23rd in the second. That game never really in doubt, obviously. Philadelphia only middle of the pack in the first half and 25th in the second. And I just think these offenses are, are too powerful. I've mentioned on just about every show I've done that I love Minnesota this year, even as a diehard Packers fan, it hurts. But Vikings two-point road favorites. I like them to win this one outright in a high-scoring game to end week two. I agree with everything you're saying there. It just, it, it just makes too much sense. I mean, right now, the Vikings, they're a popular team to be behind. But I just until I see them fail, I'm going to be backing them. Yep, great way to end it. We, we agree. We agreed on a lot. Have some dissent, like I said, always – Always a little bit more exciting for the viewers when, when you got some disagreement in there and, and uh, some good conversation back and forth. So before we go, don't forget you can get that free $100 from Underdog Fantasy. Sorry, a free $100 using promo code OUTSIDERS. Even in states where traditional prop betting is not available, they will match your deposit up to $100. Again, promo code OUTSIDERS at underdogfantasy.com. Also, don't forget to sign up for FO Plus at footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe. For free NFL betting picks, we covered some of them throughout the show. You get fantasy advice, premium stats, premium articles, and perhaps most importantly to some people, as I've mentioned, an ad-free experience. And last but certainly not least, join us on the Football Outsiders Discord for in-game conversation for every game, Thursday night, Sunday all day long, Sunday night as well as Monday. Tom, thank you for joining me as always. Uh, hope you, you have a good week in fantasy and everyone out there watching. Enjoy the action. May your fantasy teams win and all your bets hit. 